Today on episode 475 of the I Am Salt Lake podcast, we get a chat with our new friend Levi Rogers. Levi Rogers is an author and is about to have a book coming out here shortly, which we talk about in this episode. It, but Levi is also the co-founder and co-owner of La Barba Coffee here in Salt Lake City. So we, of course, talk about that and all about Levi's love of coffee. And we're going to get into all of that here in just a minute. But before we do, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Chrissy Hollifield. Hey, my name's Chris Hollifield. And we're here to introduce you to the people of Salt Lake. If you are a longtime listener of this podcast, welcome back and thank you for joining us again. And if you're new, you might be wondering what it's all about. Our show is all about showcasing amazing people in Salt Lake City, Utah and the surrounding areas. Really, anyone that might have a cool story to share, we love to talk to, like business owners, authors, tattoo artists, restaurant owners, so many more. All right. So like I said, on this episode, we chat with Levi Rogers. So if you like Utah coffee and or books, you're going to enjoy this conversation. So let's get into it. Enjoy. You know, I want to start with you, man. I'm, I'm curious, since you're a writer, this is a question I ask a few people that come on the podcast. What did your childhood smell like? My childhood smelled like... Uh, funny enough, coffee. Okay. My parents used to brew, have a, a pot of coffee always brewing. And they would take that coffee and then warm it up several times a day in the microwave. Um, <laughs> oh, I love your parents. That is so my jam. <laughs> yeah, Chris, because... Chris lectures well, me because it's not fresh coffee. Yeah. We lived in we lived in Colorado and at 8,000 feet, and so it would get cold really quick uh, outside in the winter. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so. If, if Freud was here, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, so, that's cool. So this book that you got coming out, let's jump right into this book, man. Since you got it coming out April 20th, 4:20, which I want to get into that. If there's any reasoning there, <laughs> you know. But uh, the the title of the book is Utah, a novel. Let's talk about. I mean, I, obviously, I've never read this. I haven't even read this book yet. What's the book about, and what's the motivation behind writing it, man? Yeah, so the book the book is about um, you know, kind of a a bunch of different people living in Utah and rather than telling the story from a perspective of kind of the stereotypes or kind of clichés of what people think about Utah, I really wanted to kind of expand people's, you know, horizons about just the sort of um, you know, all the different sort of people and like walks of life that live in Utah rather than just, you know, uh white Mormons, which is what people think of. So is it more of a collection of stories? No, it's a novel. And so uh, it follows a, a newly married couple, um, Lee and Becca, and they just had a daughter. Uh, she's six months old when the book starts. And they're um, fleeing. They have a wildfire evacuation at their house in Ogden. And this kind of jumpstarts um, their journey through the state of Utah, basically north to south. So they go from Ogden to Salt Lake, um, down I-5, and then eventually land in Zion National Park. Is there any truth to any of this or is this all just made up? I mean, did you, is there any like real life stuff that you put in there? So there's, I feel like people always ask that about writers and, and no, it's all, it's actually all completely fiction. Um, okay. But at the same time, you know, there's five or six characters. There's, it's kind of a character heavy uh, story. And at the same time, I feel like there's, there's parts of each character that are, you know, slightly like pulled from your personal pulled experience. Pulled from, yeah, different, different, you know, experiences, either mine or someone else's. 
This is such an interesting idea because I would never have thought that there would even be a story like this. But thinking about going from Ogden all the way down to Zion, there are very um, different like bubbles all the way down. It's kind of interesting. You can explore all of them. Yeah, yeah. And it's very much a road trip novel, you know, throughout it all. And so there's I wanted to give people almost sort of like a almost like a travel, you know, kind of. Uh, and that's kind of where the cover comes from, too, is almost like a greetings from Utah, sort of uh, welcome to Utah, sort of uh, travelogue, if you will, that goes throughout the the entirety of the state. What even motivated you, motivated you, though, to write this book, though? I mean, a book about Utah. I mean, who who would figure that one? I don't know. Yeah, I mean there there have been a, Utah has a rich history of, sure. of books, um, but not a lot of you know in my opinion not a lot of sort of modern novels set in it or sort of you know what what you might call like neo westerns or sort of urban environmental type books. Um, but the other part of the plot that I forgot to tell you about is that uh, kind of in the background of the story is that there's a sort of looming threat that the Yellowstone supervolcano might go off. And one character is sort of kind of paranoid and sort of obsessed about this happening. And when I think about it, I kind of wrote this between 2015, 2019. And it just felt like there's a lot of tension going on in the, in the U S and just in the world in general. And it kind of felt like there's a lot of these sort of looming forces, climate change, um, politics, and sort of this, this supervolcano felt like a good stand-in for that. Um, so it's kind of two parts. One, trying to explain Utah to people who haven't been there and kind of, you know, give a more um, comprehensive view of the state. And then also sort of writing about this sort of simmering tension that's underneath a lot of our society. It's like you're tricking people into learning by making a good story. <laughs> I like it. I like Utah's, your style. Utah's an yeah, interesting man. state, man. <laughs> it's an interesting state. And, and really, is. until you live here and you're part of it and you spend a few years living here, really then you yeah. don't understand what Utah is, is truly a unique, but an awesome place. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I would get tired of, so I lived in Utah for eight years, basically between 2010, 2018. And I, you know, at first I would get kind of tired of the jokes being like, go back to Colorado or Oregon, where I've also lived, be like, Hey, how's Utah? You know, how many wives you got out there now? And it's, <laughs> you know, you kind of laugh and chuckle a little bit, but then it's kind of like, you know what? Utah's fucking rad, and it's got a lot of stuff in it that people don't know about. Like, there's all these subcultures, like different, you know, now different breweries, coffee shops, all the mountains so close. Um, you know, so I kind of want to explore all that. Is there any like reasoning on why this book is coming out on 420? Is there like, is <laughs> there is anything the in the book question. that is written about cannabis, or is it just a really cool date? None. Absolutely nothing. It's actually kind of funny. Well, I mean, there's what there's one guy who who smokes a little bit, but it's uh, it wasn't my it wasn't my choice. My publisher was just like, "This is the date that we think is." Oh, it's it's cool. It's though. Like I four mean, months I, away. Yeah. <laughs> so so people can pre-order the book now. Like listeners here in Utah can pre-order the book at um, which is a King's English and Sam Weller's, right? Yep, the King's English and Weller Bookworks. W Weller Bookworks. Or they we're online, I guess on your website, they could also pre-order it or what? Uh... Yeah, website or there's a site called Bookshop, which is a, it's sort of an independent online um, bookstore, kind of like, you know, kind of the anti-Amazon. So they support local bookshops. Oh, that's um, cool. But if you order online from King's English or Weller Bookworks, they'll just ship it to you. 
or you can uh, just click pickup at the store if you want to pick up in store. Isn't technology awesome? <laughs> so what, what was the hardest part about writing this book in your opinion? So the hardest part was the last 10%. It was like the last, it was like coming up with an idea. You know, I kind of started writing, you know, poetry, right. In like high school, college. And then I kind of studied more like nonfiction actually for my, for my MFA. And then I just felt like I was writing too much about my own life and I needed to just do something completely different. And so I kind of just set off, you know, never having uh, written any fiction before and kind of just started writing these different scenes. And I really like kind of shaping the book and pulling out these characters, but, but it's that last kind of, you know, 10% where, you know, I'm a, this is my first novel. And so I'm, you know, I'm like, is this working? Like, is, does it need more of this or like, does it need more action or less action? Or does it need like, what does it need? Cause it's my first, you know, it's my first go around. Did you have um, friends who would read it and give you feedback along the way? Yes, absolutely. And I actually workshop this at part of two workshops, different writing workshops. Uh, one in one here in Portland is part of Tin House and then another one in New York called the Writer's Hotel. Cool. And so that's, I mean, that's key that that revision piece, but it, yeah, it's just kind of that last part where it's, it's not so much even just the copy editing or going through all the stuff, but it's just kind of tightening everything down basically and, and giving it that polish that really kind of ties it so that, you know, you're not, don't have loose ends here, like, you know, random stuff here that you didn't mean to leave in. Man, that has to be stressful. Writing is tough, man. It's that you get into it sometimes and it's really fun, but then it's a lot of just hard work and a lot of kind of mentally just going over in your head, you know, what is working, what's not. It's a pain. Yeah, you'd have to constantly be thinking about the characters and the development and all that stuff. And it was over a four-year period that you wrote this book, you were saying? was it, Is that what I heard? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, I would say about five years total. About five years. Was that kind of frustrating or hard? Like that would be difficult for me. I've never written a book. I, I would love to write a book. I don't know what I would write it about. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, five years, I would get so frustrated after like three years and just say, ah, this will never turn into a book. Or maybe you never planned on it turning into a book. I don't know. What's, what's the story there with it taking five years? I mean, that's what I literally had a writing mentor and I asked him one time, I said, how long does it take to write a novel? And he said, uh, for it to be good, five years. Okay. Okay. And I, yeah, I've never had a mentor. I've never had yeah. a novel. Well, especially with a, with like a fiction novel, there's, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts going on that you have to remember that you created. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's not to say, I mean, so I was working on other stuff throughout this time too. Like for me, my writing process is I always have four or five projects going on because when you get stuck at one, then you can move on to the next. And so. I would work on an essay or a short story or um, I wrote some when I was in Salt Lake, I would do some food writing. So I wrote for Devour magazine and would do some articles for them. Right on. Um, so it was always kind of nice to have, you know, it's kind of like put it aside for a couple months and then come back to it. And it's that that's also, I think, what makes a good book is that kind of time that it needs to sort of age almost like I feel like people have used the analogy of almost like cheese or something like it has to age for a certain amount of time. Yeah, that makes sense. So did you like seek out a publisher then or did they find you? So I did it in kind of an interesting way that's sort of new. So there's there's basically traditional publishing, which is what has existed for, you know, years. And that's where you kind of go and would seek an agent or uh, someone to publish it and they would pay you to do it, you know. 
but you got to be, you know, it's a lot of marketing. You got to have um, kind of an interesting story or bio or just something that really kind of fits that that mold. And I felt like my project was a little too niche for, you know, a lot of the bigger traditional publishers. And so on the opposite of that is self-publishing where you just do it yourself um, and do everything yourself. And, you know, as maybe we'll talk about in a minute, I've always kind of been DIY with, uh, you know, whether it's coffee or other things. And so the one I chose is kind of a hybrid model. Basically, um, you submit it, the publisher doesn't accept anyone, but then you pay for the sort of upfront cost to do it, but then you retain a hundred percent of the rights and royalties. And then it's kind of on you to like, you know, sell it and distribute it and all that. Do you plan on like coming, coming here to Salt Lake at all and like doing any like meet and greets or some book signings or anything or like anything like that? Yes. I'm hoping summer. I really wanted to come in the spring, but it still feels a little too, I don't know. Feels a little too soon. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, like I was really waiting for this to kind of, you know, I was sending it out to agents, trying to get it traditionally published. But I actually lost my job in September, sort of due to COVID. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I want to like, I need something to do so I don't go crazy, you know. And I was like, I'm just going to do the book. And so I was looking up ways and I just decided to do it. Right on. So it's published through, you know, a publisher, but it's sort of a hybrid model between traditional and self-publishing. All right, we're going to take just a minute now and talk about one of our awesome sponsors. Remember, guys, when you support our sponsors, you're directly supporting this podcast. UtahMarijuana.org, they're your number one spot for all things medical marijuana, medical cannabis, CBD, and THC. I don't know if you guys remember Tim Pickett back on episode 420 when he taught us all about medical marijuana and medical marijuana here in Utah. Well, now you can get your medical card in utahmarijuana.org. Their team of medical cannabis experts, they make getting your medical card super easy from your first office visit to navigating the state card application and beyond. With over 20 compassionate and highly skilled qualified medical providers ready to help you find relief, you won't have to search for a doctor willing to recommend cannabis treatment. The patient experience team at utahmarijuana.org is dedicated to helping you get all the way through the process so you can get your medicine legally. And right now, they're offering an exclusive discount to I Am Salt Lake listeners. Use the code GREEN25 for $25 off your first visit. Hey, and if you're in the North Salt Lake or Bountiful area, check this out. utahmarijuana.org has a location right next door to Wholesome. The address is 580 West, 100 North, number four in Bountiful. So depending on where you're located in the valley, they have a location just for you. So isn't it time that you took control of your own health? UtahMarijuana.org. Feel better. Let's talk about La Barba Coffee, man. This is, I mean, this perked my ears up when you mentioned uh, that your cur- what's your current role with them now? I mean, do you, you're still, the, still part of La Barba or is this kind of part of your past? Nope, I'm still a part of it. And so I'm a co-owner. I've been, you know, with La Barba eight years now. And so now I'm just sort of on the board, um, so to speak. So just part of the big decisions um, from afar. I'm not involved in day-to-day anymore, but still a part of it. So And so it would be a co-owner and co-founder. So, I mean, well, let's talk about that. So you helped found La Barba Coffee here in, in Salt Lake City. What, what was it, or yep. what's the story with how, how that started? What's talk about the, the story of how La Barbara started. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. So it's, um, you know, I moved out here uh, from Portland. I had just kind of gotten into coffee. I mean, coffee was really my first job, you know, in college. I worked as a barista at some, you know, funky little shop in Colorado. And then I was in Portland for a couple of years uh, where I learned um, a lot of stuff with this guy. And then I, I moved out to Utah and kind of saw a need for something there. And so I was, I was basically home roasting, you know, just sort of like home brewing. And me and my roommate built um, what's called a barbecue drum coffee roaster. Oh, wow. So it's basically you build a kind of like spit with that, you know, has a little cage and then it goes over and kind of turns over the grill and slowly roasts the coffee. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we were, we were both um, home roasters, basically. You know, we started to dream a little bigger, thinking about what we could do uh, in Salt Lake City and how we could sort of branch out and, you know, kind of make it a business. Like we did our first batches just for, you know, friends and family, and it was kind of fun. Um, but then we teamed up. So this was uh, Tim Walzer and I, and then we teamed up with um, Josh Rosenthal. And this other guy, Sam Duregger, and they were kind of the more business savvy types. Um, I'm kind of the creative, uh, creative, we were kind of the creative technical guys and they kind of, you know, they kind of saw, uh, where it could go. And so, you know, we, we, so we started selling our first two clients were, uh, no brow, old no brow. Yeah. And I then, that uh, place. Caputo's, those were kind of our first two clients back in the day. What's, uh, I mean, La Barba, they, are you guys, do they still have a, a little shop down on like the corner of 300 and 200 there? Isn't it, weren't they in a, like a little, yeah, I'm trying to remember the location. You would thought I would have had this a little bit better before I came and did the podcast. <laughs> oh no, you're fine. We did have a shop there as part of Finca. The Yeah. Finca. There's, that was it. Tip my tongue. Yeah. It would have been this, I guess it's the second lo- Finca location. So we had a, cause we worked with Scott Evans too. Scott Evans restaurant was the first restaurant we got into. And so we were there, but then we opened a shop in the gateway. And so it was, it was a little too close to have two shops, like right that close together. Right now we have um shop in the gateway downtown, uh, one in Draper. And then we just opened uh La Barba breakfast tacos, which is over on 900 South and state street. Wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> La Barba breakfast tacos yeah pump yes. the brakes let's uh okay huh. whoa <laughs> i think this, <laughs> this just turned into a breakfast really taco important. podcast uh <laughs> no i'm kidding well not really but uh talk about this so what the, you guys are making breakfast tacos now or what yeah sort oh. of like austin style breakfast tacos are, what uh, is that I've never been to austin so you got to f- clue me in here think very simple tacos but then you're just having sort of like um it kind of comes from it's more from texas and sort of like mexican cuisine but just really simple like tortillas and so like you have something called like amigas taco and then you have just like simple eggs um potatoes uh maybe beans and then you can do some fancy stuff with like some pork belly or you know stuff like that and it's just small tacos but breakfast tacos like breakfast burritos but breakfast tacos let's <laughs> hmm. try it so out so it's is it, it's like a restaurant or is it something la barbara la barbara la barba front with also the tacos yeah well i mean it's both it's it's not a huge restaurant it's a small you know it's a small operation like it's you order at the counter and then you know it's not like waiters right right yeah, no, I mean, if you're serving breakfast tacos, you should be filling rooms. 
Well, <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I get that. Our current CEO is is from Texas, and Josh was also from Texas, and so they kind of had the idea to do, which hasn't been done in Salt Lake. There's there's a couple spots here um, in Portland that do it, but I don't know that. Yeah, there wasn't anywhere there, and so they kind of had that idea. I mean, unfortunately, we you know the pandemic happened, and so we haven't been able to do a proper rollout. So it's 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 up and going. So you guys should go. Being a being like a business owner like that, I mean, what advice would you give to new business owners, man? Like, what advice would you tell somebody who's who's looking to start a business up? I would say for me, it was the most important thing was to know your strengths and to know your weaknesses. And so, for me, I'm a I'm totally a creative guy, um, kind of entrepreneurial. I like doing, I like creating stuff. I like kind of, you know, the the idea process and the sort of planning and rollout. But I'm not a uh, a functional guy. I'm not a numbers guy. So, um, that's so where partnering boring. up with just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. They're, those people uh, are not boring. They're very essential and I'm thankful. For yeah. Them. Yeah. I mean, it's, they get paid a lot more <laughs> than us. That's creative. true. But yeah, so I would say, I mean that for me, that's the biggest key to success is having a good team that, you know, you can have both of those because, you know, a lot of businesses will have really good ideas and really good, you know, cool spaces and all that. But if you don't know how to, you know, manage, you know, cash flow and do like that kind of stuff, which I don't, <laughs> um, you're not going to make it very long. Like, I mean, honestly, if it was up to me, um, like if it was just me doing La Barba and we hadn't kind of partnered up and built, you know, kind of had a team, like I probably would have had like a little shop that, you know, went on for a couple years and like, you know, but it would have been a, a you know, single shop that didn't really expand sort of thing. Right. More like I'm good at coffee. Good at roasting. Yeah, I get that. So what does it take to be good at roasting, man? What does it take to be a good roaster? It's a lot of uh, a lot of practice. But coffee roasting is is really fun because it's it's this really interesting blend between art and science. Like on the one hand, you have all this sort of chemical transformations that are taking place within the bean and it's knowing temperatures and these things called roast curves and all kind of that and keeping this sort of very scientific eye on, on the coffee itself. On the other hand, it's very much the sort of, you know, kind of feeling it out thing where you think, you know what, you know, I'm going to dump the coffee in at this temperature. I'm going to pull it at this temperature and then just kind of feel it out and then taste it the next day. If it doesn't go right, you know, make some adjustments, then kind of go back. And so it's, it's a lot of really the keys are just uh, repetition and then, cupping or tasting and just tasting a lot of your product and then knowing kind of what's going on behind the scenes of the roast and how you kind of can get what flavor profiles or type of roast that you're looking for. This guy knows his coffee. I know. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, you know, you know how you uh, smell coffee beans to clear your, <laughs> your, your taste and smell senses. Like when you're smelling candles and lotions and stuff. <laughs> yeah. What? What do you do if you're testing different coffee beans that you made? How do you clear your palate? And this is for some reason water, very important probably, for me right? to know. Just drink a water. <laughs> Wouldn't that work? Yeah, just I water. Guess. And if you're cupping a lot, uh, which you have to do sometimes, you'll you'll um, you'll spit. So just kind of like wine, you know, just like you do in wine. Like you just can't have that much coffee. <laughs> you so. can't eat. Or drink. Do you ever much. just get so yeah. wired on caffeine though? Like when you're <laughs> testing this coffee out, man, like that would be like, 
I mean, when we talked to, we talked to some like distilleries on this podcast, right? And I'm just thinking, yeah. they must, must get so smashed at work, right? Like they <laughs> must have the so many days that they just sleeping over at that, at their place. <laughs> and I'm wondering like how it is for coffee, man. Like how do you, how do you not just have the shakes all the, the time? It is. I mean, you gotta, you gotta regulate it. Like you gotta, you gotta spit or you gotta eat. Like my problem was if I didn't eat, you know, before I went into work or sometimes I just eat a small breakfast. Then around two or three, I would just be <laughs> starving and just like, yeah. my, you know, there's so much acid almost in my, I would be like, I need, you know, some like food in, in <laughs> my body. Oh, yeah. So what do you do on your, you're up in Portland now, but you're still involved with La Barba Coffee. You got this book coming out about Utah. What are you doing up in Portland, man? Like, are you involved at all with coffee up there or are you just kind of hanging out? My wife and I moved up here. Uh, when we had our daughter, we had our daughter in um, May of 2018. And so it was around then that we, so we didn't have any family in Utah. And we just, you know, it's kind of one of those weird things where we're just like, we want to be around family at this point. And so her sister lives in Portland, 10 minutes away from us. Um, my parents and my sister live in Hood River, which is like an hour east of Portland. And so we kind of, we loved Utah. We really didn't want to leave. But it was just kind of one of those things, you know, she had been in Utah for 10 or 12 years. I was there for eight or so. And then, uh, so we kind of went out, you know, uh, with that, but, but then I was working for, um, a coffee importer for about a year and a half as well. Okay. What were you doing with them? Just Im importing coffee? Yeah. So working on the green side of things is what we call it. Like the, the like green growing. coffee is the, is the green, you know, before it gets roasted coffee kind of comes out in these, um you know, little green, uh, seeds, basically those little green beans. Okay. And so I was doing quality control. So, uh, sample roasting. So sample roasting, kind of all the new beans that were coming in and then, you know, cupping them to see if the taste was right. Uh, I, I got my, um, in coffee, it's called a Q grader and it's basically the, uh, coffee equivalent of a sommelier. And so it's, uh, basically is this, you know, you do a week long class and it's uh, stands for quality Arabica grader. So it means that you are certified to grade all, uh, you know, Arabica coffee. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's and, awesome. And it includes, it includes, it's a little different than wine because it includes more of the um, different things like uh, defects and, you know, the growing side of things too. You know, it's not just tasting, although that is a lot of it. But yeah, so I got that and it was doing, um, working for a coffee importer for about a year and a half. And, um, yeah, it was great. What ruins a cup of coffee for you? Like how, what just ruins it for me now? It's still, I mean, I think literally not to bash the big one that everyone, but like Starbucks has the like bitter, like that bitter finish that I just like, anytime you taste that, like, and I'll taste that in other coffees too. And it's just that, kind of a little roasty and just bitter finish. And it makes it taste stronger, which is why I think people like it because it's good if you had, you know, I drink coffee black. So that's probably why, like if you add cream and sugar, you won't notice that as much. See, I'm with you. I am so glad that you said that because <laughs> look, this is important. I have had many arguments that Starbucks, it's just too acidic or too burnt. It's just, ugh. you know, it, it, it doesn't taste like delicious coffee to me. Yeah. And, you know, it's all, it's all preference. Like 
for a while, the 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 whole specialty coffee scene went, in my opinion, and went a little too light. Like everyone was roasting really light stuff, and it tasted almost green or really acidic, like you're saying. Um, and so it's it's always a balance. Like, and it is kind of in the roasting where you figure that out with. You know, if you want something that is more fruit forward and, you know, has acidity or if you want something that's a little more developed and a little more kind of chocolate and body. And that's kind of those two ends that you're always balancing. Interesting. Yeah. If you were to open up a new restaurant venue or business of some sort, what would it be? I'm sure you got some businesses up your sleeve. Oh, a new restaurant or just a business? Well, new new restaurant, venue, business, whatever. I mean, you 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 do a you got a book, you got coffee. I mean, what else do you you want to start something oh, man. new or what? Book and a co- you should do a book and coffee shop. <laughs> no, do a cat a cat cafe. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, cat cafe. Uh, I, I I've always thought about doing a more like curated bookstore, uh, coffee okay. shop type place. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. You know, books are hard. You know, books are hard to sell. <laughs> That's the hard part. These, like bookstores are going yeah. out so much, but you know, oh, I just I hope they stay. Tell me, I want to know about your favorite coffee mug. Tell me about your favorite coffee mug. Ooh, favorite coffee mug. Um, it's kind of a classic design. There's a there's a company called Not Neutral, and they have you know kind of a sleek design. It, you know, got a handle, and but it's a pretty light. Mug, I, I could go get one for you. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. But you you dig on that one, right? It's, it's um you know, collecting mugs What do you like fun. about you it? You can get a few mugs everywhere. There's always a reason you have a favorite mug, right? You know, it's like size or shape or handle. There's something. There's something that you're like, mm, I need that one. Yeah, that one, that one, the handle is nice. I do like the handle. I can appreciate that. So when you're not uh, when you're not drinking coffee and when you're not writing and when you're not chasing your daughter, what are some of your other hobbies and interests? Like what other things do you like to do? Uh, so for me, snowboarding is a is a big one. Um, so getting outside, snowboarding is probably the biggest one for me. Um, I do a little bit of climbing uh, and biking and that kind of stuff, but I've been snowboarding for years, and that you know that's one reason that took me to Salt Lake as well. I was going to say, you probably miss Utah now that you're, you're can't snowboard here, right? Oh yeah. I mean, my wife and I missed Utah for a lot of reasons. Um, snow is definitely one. I used to go to Brighton a lot. We had really great friends, you know, some of the best friends we've ever had in Salt Lake. Like, I don't know what it is about, you know, I talk a lot about this a little bit in the book, but it's when you have a kind of dominant culture and then you have a kind of a counterculture beneath that, you kind of almost breed more you know, tighter friend groups in some, in some interesting way or tighter circles. And, you know, yeah, you've kind of an extra layer of bonding that doesn't really exist in an area that's more diverse. So I think you feel closer to people who are more counterculture for sure. And I almost felt bad because, you know, people, people, um, would ask me, you know, about, you know, LDS folks, which, you know, I, I love them, but you know, I wouldn't come in contact with many of them because, I would be, you know, working coffee in the day. Oh, that's true. If I was going out, it would be, you know, to a bar or brewery or something. So, I, you know, I met a few um, LDS folks through. I got my English degree at the U. And so, you know, met some up there. Um, Can I ask you a question about that, that, that too? <laughs> yeah. After, after you're done, I want to ask you a question. Well, no, that, I was just going to say that's why um, writing the book was, that's another reason maybe why too, is because I felt like, 
the vision people had of Utah was not what I was experiencing, you know? And, you know, I was like, I'm in these different kind of subcultures that are within Utah that are sort of related and kind of can't exist without it. But as also, you know, I just, I just found it was really interesting. I love that. I, so I saw that you, you went to the U and you uh, majored in English in a uh, creative nonfiction, right? For the U, it was just uh, like English, you know, English literature oh, okay. degree. Gotcha. I saw um, creative I did nonfiction my, in your your uh, bio. Well, yeah. So I did my my MFA so in creative nonfiction, and that one I actually did a low residency program at Antioch, and it was based in uh, L.A. It was. It's nice if you're working. It's a low residency program, so you go out there for ten days, like twice a year, and then do the rest online. And so that's where I did my MFA. Right but were you I wondering about really what creative nonfiction is? <laughs> well, that's the thing, because like I'm a very like there's fiction and there's nonfiction, but creative nonfiction feels a little bit wrong. <laughs> and I'm sure it's awesome, but I was a little I I have to know what it is. Like, is is it just kind of a different version of nonfiction? So all all creative nonfiction is is um it, it goes by different names. It's like narrative nonfiction or creative nonfiction. But all it is is basically memoir and essays. Oh, right and on. because all there's right, a lot cool. of there's a lot of um and I and my next book is actually a memoir and you know, I write a little bit more about my experience in Utah. But with memoir is interesting because, you know, memoir is based on memory and so memory is inherent inherently faulty. So no matter how, you know, kind of close to the truth you can get you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a different point of view than, you know, other family members or other friends. And so that's why, and even a lot of essays can be a little more um, creative, right? Whereas, whereas nonfiction, pure nonfiction would be more like research books, journalism, and cookbooks. Like (laughs) cookbooks would be the most pure example of just (laughs) pretty straight. This is, yeah, this is how it is where even, um, you know, most most news outlets would be, you know, pretty strict nonfiction. But then you you would see like every so often someone will come along and do a little more creative essay that kind of spins it a little bit. Right. Every, anytime you kind of bring in your own personal experience, really, because then it, then okay. it shifts from being objective oh, so you're to interesting being, journalist. Well, yeah, but That's just when I you're think. a journalist, <laughs> when you're a journalist, you're trying not to bring in, you know, we talked about this. You, you don't want to bring in the I voice is what we call it. So. You don't want right. to say like I. You want to you know, remain objective. Cra- yeah, I saw a crash okay. across the street. You'd say, you know, there's a crash on the corner of 300 South and 200 South. Uh, three vehicles were involved. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. blah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that that's which there is a place really for. Interesting. And oh, for you sure. could think of creative nonfiction as you know, I'm walking to meet you know a friend at the bar when out of the corner of my eye I see flashing lights at the corner of this corner and then I immediately think you know who was involved in this and blow you know it kind of just spins off you know in its own yeah, so it is yeah. it is very narrative based like in the sense of fiction and you know there are a lot of writers who would tell you there isn't you know much difference um in some ways yeah yeah it's that's what made me curious and i I like that i'm gonna I'm gonna learn more about that later thank you thanks for the yeah. intro yeah. So we ask a few uh, standard Salt Lake City questions on every episode, Levi. All right. So, of course, we got to ask you, I know you're not currently living here, but I mean, you lived here for eight years. You're writing a book about Utah. You know enough. La Barba Coffee, everything, right? 
when we have family and friends that visit Salt Lake, right, we like to show certain areas of town, certain, uh, give them a tour. I'm sure there's places that you could still think of that you're like, love to show off when people come to Utah, right? Yes, absolutely. Kind of depends who's in town. <laughs> yeah. For the more interesting friends, there's the, um, oh man, I'm totally blanking on the name. What's that weird garden that's in, um, Guy Gal or yeah. Gilgal yeah. Gardens. Gilgal. Gilgal. Yeah. Behind Trolley Square there, kind of. Uh, I like that area. Uh, that's kind of a funky place to go. You know, we would take my, this is uh, not interesting, but we would take my parents to the, you know, Temple Square for the lights and the holidays, ice skating. And then um, for me, it's, it's, I think Salt Lake, it's all about the mountains um, for me. So I, I love to show off the mountains because uh, growing up in Colorado, you know, the lie, my friend says that the lie of Denver is that it's close to the mountains, which it's not. It's like an hour and a half to get there if there's no traffic. And oh, so, wow. yeah, you think of you think of Colorado and Denver as like the ultimate kind of ski uh, mountain right town. But like it's far. And to me, Salt Lake, if it wasn't for a few, you know, other aspects of the state, it would be the next kind of like Tahoe or Boulder or, you know, one of those type towns because the mountains are just so close and, you know, 45 minutes to all the different canyons there and. Memory Grove is another one. I really like Memory Grove. I used to run that trail up City Creek a lot with it's my It's a nice dog. trail, yeah. Um, get up. You know, within 10 minutes, you can be back there and, you know, feel like you're pretty far out in the wilderness. Any, um, what about favorite local eating spots, man? I'm sure you there was a favorite place of yours when you were here or when you come here to visit, right? Lots. And I mean, I, I credit, you know, I have to thank a lot of the people because... Um, getting into the food industry was, you know, one of the best things that has ever happened to me <laughs> just for my own personal taste and the food I ate. But so for me, it was, um, right now I really miss Caputo's, their sandwiches and just their whole store. My favorite, my favorite restaurant, which was, I think has actually changed a lot now. I think they have another location was, it was kind of just starting, uh, was Nomad Restaurant and Eatery. Why is that bringing a bell? I, I, I see the logo in my head, yeah, but I can't remember a, where it is. So, well, it was probably because I was living, so I was living in Rose Park and they opened a rest. their first restaurant was almost over like between Rose Park and the airport in kind of a weird, it was off North Temple in kind of a weird area, but I really liked the food. Um, and then I think, I think I heard that they just opened a second location somewhere in, um, yeah, somewhere in not quite Sugar House, but uh, kind of central downtown up in the hills a little bit. Let's run down the list how people can can get your book, pre-order your book. I mean, whether they're listening to this before April 20th or after April 20th, let's run down all the ways that people can can take advantage of uh, the book that way. Yeah. And so the book is at um, Weller Bookworks and the King's English um, online available for pre-order. Uh, you can buy it there and it'll be shipped to you. Or I think you can do a quick pickup option. You can follow me at um, on Instagram at Levi Justin Rogers or on Twitter uh, at Rogers underscore Levi. Yeah, La Barba Coffee. Uh, newest location, La Barba Breakfast. La Barba, La Barba Coffee and Breakfast Tacos. Full name. In the Maven building, which is right there. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to mess it up. It's 900 South and, and like uh, between State and 200 West. Right there. 
Very cool. Dude, I'm so stoked that I had you on the podcast. I mean, I am so glad that you reached out to us and uh, told us what you got going on. I mean, is there anything that we didn't get to talk about? I know we kind of just skimmed the surface with a lot of stuff, but is there anything that you were hoping we would talk about that we didn't get a chance to? Uh, the only thing I was going to say, uh, we can insert this later, is I meant to say more about the about La Barba, like the the phase. So okay. we, you know, we we started um, we started a home roasting, and then we opened up. You know, we started basically just doing wholesale. Um, no Brow was our first client, so Joe Evans there um, was doing was kind of the only other person in town doing kind of specialty third wave coffee. And so him and kind of the Rose were just barely starting when we had, when we started and we, we started um, wholesale only at first. And I just think it's funny now because um, it's just cool to look back on because now there's, I mean, there's always been a rich coffee scene in Salt Lake with um, Salt Lake Roasting Company and Mill Creek and um, so many others. But, you know, now I can't even keep up with all the little small roasters that are, that are going up. And so they're popping it's just up cool. everywhere. Yeah. It's just cool to see how the town has grown and adapted to it. And, you know, I have friends from Portland and other places go out and do a big, have done coffee tours around Salt Lake. There's uh campus now that, you know, they're a pretty big Australian coffee company. They have two locations, uh, Salt Lake park city, uh, blue copper, you know, is doing great stuff. Always been solid and public and, you know, all the new ones now that I don't know about. <laughs> it is cool to see. Yeah, it was just, it was a good time, you know, um, kind of seeing seeing Salt Lake grow. I mean, my wife used to say that when she first started living in Utah, which was 10 or 12 years ago, the only good place, like the best ritzy place to go out to eat was P.F. Chang's. Like that's where <laughs> you, would, you, you would go. I don't I mean, know. Like, I don't know if that's, that's true, but true. it sounds... <laughs> uh, well, at least in Utah sounds, County. Yeah, or yeah, you know, one of those. There wasn't a lot, you know. There was some, you know, more of the old school restaurants too, I guess. Uh, <laughs> like Olive Olive Garden. Did you meet your wife Fancy. here in Utah, or did you say where you met your wife? No, I met I met her in Utah. I met her uh, at the Bayou, actually. Okay. She she was working for uh, Volunteers of America, the Homeless Youth Resource Center. Uh, which was right next door to the bio. And we were kind of in similar circles, I guess um, you could say. Very cool. Chrissy has a final question that she asks everybody that comes through here. So of course she has to ask you. Thank you again for doing the podcast, Levi. And uh, you know, I'm, I, I hope the best for you down the road, you know, and you keep cranking these books out, man. Yeah. Thank you, Chris and Chrissy. It's been, it's been a pleasure to be on. It's been so fun. Thank you. But before I let you go, you need to leave us with a motto or a piece of life advice. Ooh. Oh, I guess I can ask that in the a form spot. of a question. Um, can you leave the listeners with a motto or piece of life advice? That's much nicer to ask. For me, I, I'm stealing this from a friend who told this for me. You know, I've, I have my own issues with like depression and anxiety. And she told me once, um, life crumples up, but it always straightens out again. And I really like that. Thanks again to Levi Rogers for joining us on this episode of the podcast. All of the links that we mentioned in this conversation can be found in this episode show notes on our podcast website, which is IamSaltLake.com. 
And to get to this episode, IamSaltLake.com slash 475 for episode 475. Hey, and before we wrap up this week's episode of the podcast, I want to mention a couple of ways you can support the podcast. First, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Hey, this doesn't cost you anything, but it's kind of cool. Chrissy and I, we love to see what you guys have to say about the show. We love feedback. We love to know where we can improve. Yeah, we'll take constructive criticism. So make sure to leave us a review in Apple Podcast. And if you want to become a supporter of the show, a Patreon supporter, it's really easy to do that at patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake. We've got some cool reward levels up there and we've got some cool... Uh, rewards and whatnot. So go check that out on Patreon. Uh, Otherwise, you guys have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city. It's going to be beautiful this week. Uh, Support local, and we're going to see you next week on the next episode of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. And good night, Grammy.